Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 147. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope all is well at your home and businesses and cars and, I don't know, inside the active volcanoes in which you dwell in the deep, dark recesses of interstellar space where you live out your oxygenless existence plotting the destruction of the planet in revenge for the wrongs that com- were committed upon you. As for me, I'm doing okay. I got coffee, I got a dog on my lap, I got an Atari game nearby. So things are pretty good. So let's just kick things off, why don't we? How do we do that usually? Oh right. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. On October 29th, Mad Mike posted an article from Forbes.com, the top four reasons California is unsustainable. Mike's caption on the article, on the post, is if we do not stand up and stop this decline, we will have nothing left. Politics as usual. He has not posted anything on Facebook anyway since the election. Democrat Gavin Newsom uh, won governor pretty handily over the rep- uh, Republican candidate. I don't know what Mad Mike would think about that. On October 22nd, I think I mentioned this, he was giving a shout out to an episode of something on Noise TV featuring George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Other than that, Mad Mike's been pretty quiet lately. I'm still searching the skies, you know, looking up, waiting to see Mad Mike waving from his homemade rocket as he flies uh, over us. I, don't, I try not to look up too long, though, because if you look up while you're walking, you might fall right off the edge of the flat earth. So, uh, you know, you got to be careful out there, out there, folks. You know, it used to be don't look down at your phones all the time. Well, now it's don't look up too long because you'll fall off the earth. Um, it's a rough world out there, guys. Thankfully, Mad Mike is here to help us. And on that note, thus concludes the Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Speaking of space, there was other space news in the space news this week. A weird-ass cylindrical asteroid when zooming through the solar system just booking on through in a totally unnatural pattern and just kept on going right out of the solar system and apparently it was red because if you're going to build something that goes really fast and zooms it's got to be red right red sports car red speedboat a squirt of ketchup the little brother aims at his sister all the really good fast stuff is red I don't have the greatest microphone in the world, but it might be picking up the sound of my dog snoring right now. So apologies for that. So this thing has been called has been named Umuamua, which I'm sure I'm butchering the butchering, but which I am sure I am butchering the pronunciation of, along with all other words in English language. Apparently, uh, it's being called the first interstellar object detected passing through the solar system, formally designated 1I2017U1. Discovered by Robert Work using the Pan-STARRS telescope at Halakala, wow, me talk good today, um, observatory in Hawaii on October 19th, 40 days after it passed its closest point to the sun. 
It was about 33 million mile, kilometers away uh, when it was spotted, which is about 85 times as far away as the moon, and it was already booking its way uh, out of town, away from the sun. Scientists think it's about 230 meters by 1,000 meters by 35 meters. Dark red color similar to objects in the outer solar system. It showed no signs of a comet tail, because that was one theory that it was a comet, uh, even though it approached the sun pretty close, and it's undergone non-gravitational acceleration potentially consistent with a push from solar radiation. It has significant, significant elongation and rotation rate, so it's thought to be metal-rich with a relatively high density. It's tumbling rather than smoothly rotating and moving so fast relative to the sun, there's no chance it originated in our solar system, uh, which means that it can't be captured in a solar orbit, and eventually it's going to leave the solar system entirely. Nobody knows where it came from and how long it's been traveling. The name comes from Hawaiian... Umuaumua, meaning scout. There was some discussion of trying to send a spacecraft to intercept it, uh, and it seems, it appears to be feasible that you could do that. Initially, people thought, well, it's moving too fast, but now they've kind of said, well, we could uh, within five to ten years. Astronomers estimate that several interstellar objects similar to this one pass inside of Earth's orbit every year. Harvard scientists have speculated that the interstellar object could be a probe sent by an alien civilization. I should say two. Two Harvard scientists have said this. Most astronomers think that's a comet or an asteroid, about a half mile long. But all this behavior stuff, the way it's moving that I talked about, has people scratching their heads because it is unusual. These scientists speculated that the way it's moving suggests that there's an extraordinary force, uh, an extra force pushing it, and it's not clear where that extra push is coming from. They think, uh, these two scientists, A.V. Loeb and another scientist are speculating that it could be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to Earth by alien by an alien civilization. Even though this thing is less than a millimeter thin, it's very wide like a sail, harnessing solar radiation to propel itself, kind of like the spaceship used by Count Doku, Dooku in Star Wars. Another astrophysicist, Jackie Faraday, says, well, hold on, this thing didn't emit any signal suggesting it was a spacecraft. She says, look, this is a really cool, phenomenal discovery on its own, and it's really important for us to study it. It's okay if it's not aliens. Her theory as to why we keep coming up with sort of strange explanations for what is actually pretty scientifically simple. As hard as it is to fathom the existence of aliens, it's apparently even harder to fathom the idea that we're alone. So all right, all you amateur uh, physicists and astronomers and alien conspiracists, what do you think this thing is? And more importantly, how soon before someone comes up with a homebrew Atari game featuring Omuumau? Get to work, homebrewers. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week's news segment. Let's close the book on the news. Insert your own head jingle here. This week's game is 3D Tic-Tac-Toe from Atari 1978. What were you guys doing in 1978? Not releasing a, a Tic-Tac-Toe game on the Atari, I'll tell you that. Because Atari done already done it. Yeah. Right, I should stop talking now. No, I can't. That will make the podcast really kind of boring. Okay. So we're using the joystick for this one. You know how to plug that in. In this game, there's a perspective drawing of four square boards or planes displayed on the screen, which is intended to create a three-dimensional effect. Each board is a four by four grid. The object of the game is to place four X's or four O's in one horizontal, vertical, or diagonal row. To do this, you may use one plane or all four planes. So you guys all know what a tic-tac-toe board looks like. This one is a little bit bigger because instead of a row of three, in the typical tic-tac-toe game, you have to make a row of four. And then there's four of those boards on top of each other with some space in between, like I just described. 
You must place four markers in a row before your opponent does, or before the computer does, to win. There are nine games in all. The first eight games are one-player games, competing against the computer. Each game number is a progressively harder skill level. Game nine is for two players. And there are some uh, examples in the manual as far as how you can win. Can everybody see in the back? Okay, good. At level one, the computer moves quickly and is fairly easy to beat. At level eight, the computer may think or compute for as long as 20 minutes before making its move, and is very difficult. If you're playing tic-tac-toe with a real live person, and they take 20 minutes to decide on a move, not only will your food have arrived at the Denny's that you're eating at, you will have crumpled up the placemat and shoved it in their mouth and smacked them in the face with the Grand Slam breakfast that has gotten cold while you were waiting. Check the game matrix for the number of moves the computer looks ahead during each skill level, as well as the com compute or move time for each level. When the computer is working on its next move, the tic-tac-toe boards are not displayed. Instead, various colors appear on the screen. Not so, folks. On my console, the screen just goes black. The first time that happens, you freak out because you're playing on a 30-odd-year-old video game console, and usually when things go black, that means that uh, your game just died. Depressing the game reset switch or moving the difficulty switches when this is happening has no effect on the game. The game controls you now, human. However, depressing the game select switch will cause the computer to move almost immediately without changing the game number. It's akin to you holding up the plate full of bacon and eggs and getting ready to fire as a motivator for them to get moving. The computer is not computing its next move. The skill level or game number may be changed during a game by depressing the game select switch. The right difficulty switch determines who will begin a game. For one-player games, when the switch is in the A position, you start. When the switch is in the B position, the computer starts. In two-player games, the right difficulty switch determines whether X or O starts. In the A position, the X player, or the player using the joystick plugged into the left controller jack, starts. In the B position, the zero player using the right controller jack starts. The left difficulty switch may be used to create a setup mode, mode on the screen. To do this, put the switch in the A position. You may then use the joystick plugged into the left controller jack to place X's or O's anywhere on the screen. Press the controller button to place markers. Hold the button down and the cursor alternates between X's, O's, and blanks on the screen so that you may place whichever you wish in the desired squares. Whenever you place the left difficulty switch in the B position, tic-tac-toe is ready for normal play. After using the setup mode, either X or O may play first. This is determined by the position of the right difficulty switch, the same as at the start of the game. Strategy. To beat the computer or another player, you must place two, three in a rows so that the opponent cannot blo block both of them. Same principle as the, you know, the strategy in regular tic-tac-toe. Uh, same principle, anyway. Occasionally, you may win when an opponent fails to see that you have three in a row, but that method involves more luck, in, or, uh, more luck than strategy. At higher skill levels, placing three in a row becomes difficult. One of the secrets to playing winning tic-tac-toe is to play in the 16 strong squares at the beginning of a game. The 16 strong squares are the eight outside corner squares and the eight inside center squares. In total, there are 76 possible ways to win. It is not possible to win by using two or three planes. You must use one or all four. Well, poop on you. It's pretty intuitive, right? You use the curse or use the joystick to move your X or your O around the, the boards. Use the uh, fire button to place your marker. Try to take over or dominate planes. The four tic-tac-toe boards represent horizontal, vertical, and diagonal planes. When you place three or four markers in one plane and your opponent has none, you can probably win. Continue to force the opponent to block until you have two, three in a row, which cannot be blocked in one move. When planning your moves during a game, don't lose sight of the fact that your opponent is doing the same.
blocking your opponent's markers is equally important to establishing a strategy of your own. It has been proven, Atari says, that the first player to move can always win, provide he or she plays a perfect game. The computer, on the other hand, has a degree of randomness programmed into its play, so it will not always play a perfect game. You didn't hear that, computer. Oh god, I think it's listening. Even at the highest skill level, the computer will not always play a perfect game. This gives the opponent a chance to win if he or she is a skilled player. On difficulty level 1, the computer thinks one move ahead and for approximately half a second. If you go all the way to the other end, difficulty level 8, the computer thinks 9 moves ahead and can think for up to 20 minutes. The jump, by the way, level 4, the computer thinks for less, 3 minutes or less. Level 5, that jumps up to 10 minutes or less. I played in the field report on level 3, where the computer thinks 3 moves ahead and thinks for a minute or less. I won't spoil it for you to tell you who won. Stupid computer. But uh, you'll just have to wait for the field report to find out. Stupid computer. Alright, so tic-tac-toe is that pencil and pen paper and pencil game for two players. You have X's and O's. We all know how to play tic-tac-toe, right? The game can be traced back to ancient Egypt, which is a nice tie-in with Riddle of the Sphinx that we played last week. Such board game boards have been found on roofing tiles dating from around 1300 BC. An early variation of the game was played in the Roman Empire around the 1st century BC called Turni Lapili, Three Pebbles at a Time, is how that translates. You didn't have any number of pieces, you only had three. Instead of having any number of pieces, each player only had three. So you had to move them around to empty spaces to keep playing. The grid markings have been found chalked all over Rome. Another closely related ancient game is Three Men's Morris, which is also played on a simple grid and requires three pieces in a row to finish. And Picaria, a game of the Puebloans. The first printed reference to knots and crosses, not being an alternative word for zero, the British name, appeared in 1858. The first print reference to a game called Tic-Tac-Toe occurred in 1894, but referred to a children's game played on a slate, consisting in trying to win in trying with the eye shut to bring the pencil down on one of the numbers on a set, the number hit being scored. Okay, that sounds fun. Tic-tac-toe may also derive from tic-tac, the name of an old version of backgammon, first described in 1558. The U.S. renaming of knots and crosses as tic-tac-toe occurred in the 20th century. In 1852, OXO, or knots and crosses, developed by British computer scientists, Alexander S. Douglas for the EDSAC computer at the University of Cambridge became one of the first known video games. The computer player could use perfect could play perfect games of tic-tac-toe against a human opponent. In 1975, tic-tac-toe was also used by MIT students to demonstrate the computational power of tinker toy elements. The tinker toy computer, made out of almost only tinker toys, is able to play tic-tac-toe perfectly. It is currently on display at the Museum of Science in Boston. Huh. I had Tinker Toys when I was a kid, and mostly I just made, like, sort of houses. Hmm. Not sure what that says about me. Anyway, 3D Tic-Tac-Toe is also known by the trade name Cubic, and is played, as we know, in a cubicle array of cells, usually 4x4x4. Four by four by four. Players take turns by placing the markers in blank cells in the array. The first player to achieve four of their own markers in a row wins. The winning row can be horizontal, vertical, or diagonal on a single board, as in regular tic-tac-toe, or vertically in a column on a diagonal line through four boards. You can also play, you can play it on commercial sets of apparatus, or with a pencil and paper on a hand-drawn board. 
The game has been analyzed mathematically, and a first-player win strategy was developed and published. However, the strategy is too complicated for most human players to memorize and apply. Take that, humans. In 1970s, 3M Games, a division of 3M Corporation, sold a series of paper games, including a three-dimensional tic-tac-toe. Buyers received a pad of 50 sheets with pre-printed game boards. Cubic was a brand name uh, marketed by Parker Brothers starting in 64, reissued in 72 with a more modern design. Several computer programs that play the game against a human opponent have been written. The earliest used console lights and switches, text terminals, or similar interaction. The human player would enter moves numerically, and the program would respond similarly as graphic displays were uncommon. Among these computer programs were ones for the IBM 650. William Daly Jr. described a cubic playing program as part of his master's program at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, written in assembler language for the TX-0. An implementation in Fortran was written by Robert Loudon. A cubic program in a deck dialect of BASIC appeared in 101 BASIC computer games by David Ahi. Atari yeah, released a graphical version in um, uh, for the 2600 console and the Atari 8-bit computers in 78. The program was written by Carol Shaw, who went on to greater fame as the creator of Activision's River Raid, one of my favorite games of all time. Used standard joystick controller can be played by two players or a player against the computer. Uh, the product code for the Atari game was CX2618. The game, uh, a three-dimensional tic-tac-toe game, was also included in Microsoft Windows Entertainment Pack in the 90s under the name Tic Tactics. In 2010, Microsoft made the game available on its game room service for the Xbox 360. Atari Protoss wrote, Remember that really cool 3D chess game people played on Star Trek? If you thought this game would be anything like that, you're in for a big disappointment. It's plain old tic-tac-toe played on different levels. Played on four different levels. He thinks that it, three levels would make more sense. While the premise may sound interesting, the result is less than stellar. The biggest problem is the perspective. Everything is displayed at an angle to try and simulate 3D. It makes it difficult to line up your pieces and doesn't work very well. Taking a dull game like tic-tac-toe and making it 3D doesn't help hide the fact that it's still just tic-tac-toe. The almost total lack of sound and signals really hinders an already mind-numbing game. One gets the impression that this game was simply made as filler for the 2600 library. In contrast, AtariMagazines.com wrote that 3D tic-tac-toe is crafty enough to beat you, yet smart enough not to win all the time. After all, if your Atari gets starts getting too smug about its tic-tac-toe prowess, you're likely to call a halt by pulling, pulling the plug. Atari HQ called it a unique approach to everyone's favorite chalkboard pastime, but found that uh, the ability to play against the computer is a nice touch, but the artificial intelligence is quite predictable and the game is boring to begin with. And VideoGameCritic.com gave the game an F. I've never met a soul who has even admitted to playing this game, much less enjoying it. How Atari's quality control team let 3D tic-tac-toe out the door is beyond me. The game is played like normal tic-tac-toe, but on 4x4 four uh, four 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 boards, it's no Tetris, that's for sure. Minimal graphics are lousy. The 3D idea is a bit of a stretch. I don't think the game is worth investing in. Uh, the kind of time it takes. Play it, and it was one of the first Atari games to be discontinued by the company. Which should hardly come as a surprise. Here's the thing, though. I'm a dad. A lot of you listening are probably dads. And either in your role as a dad or a mom, you've played thousands of games of tic-tac-toe with your kids. And even if you don't have kids, when you were a kid, you played thousands of games of tic-tac-toe with your siblings and your parents, right? We all do. So there must be something about tic-tac-toe that brings people back. Because really, if you're paying attention, no one should ever be able to win a game of tic-tac-toe. And yet people do. I mean, hell, 
Whopper in the War Games movie, um, you know, avoided a whole thermonuclear war by learning to play tic-tac-toe. There's something about this game that's special. I just don't know what it is exactly. It's kind of like, um, why do guys look good wearing neckties? Necktie is a stupid piece of clothing. And yet, if you put one on, you look good. So many mysteries in life. Well, it's a puzzle. And after the break, you can choose Xers or, oh boy, are we going to have some fun with this. Yep, I said it. Commander Spock. Yes, Captain Kirk? What should we do tonight? Well, Captain, we could play a game of three-dimensional chess, but as I beat you every single time, it would be illogical for you to choose to do so. Right. Well, Spock, how about we play three-dimensional tic-tac-toe? Well, Captain, the game is futile and illogical, with no reason that any one person should win. And yet, humans consistently fail to succeed at that game. And still, they try and try again. In other words, it is perfect for you. All right, let's do it. But it'll be just you and me tonight, right? Yes, Captain, we will not invite. Khan! All right, so we're playing three-dimensional chess. I have it on level three. Seemed like a reasonable level to play at. So we have our X's and our O's. The X's look more like... Okay, I have to put my X. Oh, now the computer's thinking. It's a little disturbing when the screen goes black. In the manual, it says they're supposed to be like swirly colors and stuff, but on my uh, system here, when the computer's thinking, it just goes black. Like I said, it's a little disconcerting when you're playing on old equipment like this. Oh God, did the equipment break? All right, my turn. Take that, O's. The, uh... 3D effect in this uh, early, 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 early Atari game is represented by the four tic-tac-toe boards, one on top of another. Uh, it's a little confusing to try and, and track um, a, a row of four over four screens, but, you know, for the time it's not so bad. I'm sorry, I was talking. I was trying to put an X in a box that already had an X. Thinking, 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 thinking. Ha! Ah, I got stumped, don't I? Oh. Thought I had you stumped, computer. No, don't you dare start for a row of four down there. Listening to someone play tic-tac-toe is riveting in the way that listening to paint dry, I imagine, is riveting. Oh, sorry, I gave away what next week's episode is going to be. Okay. Oh, what are you up to now, O's? Huh? What are you up to now? Let's see. Oh, I know what to do. Boom. Oh, you bastard. I hate O's. No, I didn't mean to go there. Darn it. Damn it. 
I hate you O's. For future reference, O's are dead to me. I am not using O's in any words anymore. Wait. I'm going to revise that sentence. I'm not, I, I'm not using O's in any words any more. I have spoken back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, it's the holiday season, which means it's time once again to tell you that in addition to the stories you hear every week on this podcast, I also write books. And one of those is called In the Saint Nick of Time, which is a holiday-themed story, go figure, in which Santa Claus himself is burned out. He's tired of being Santa. He quits. He ends up in the town of Santa Claus, Indiana, which is a real place, where he meets up with Cameron Jones, a famous author who is having his own troubles. He's fighting with his ex-wife over custody with their child. He is suffering about a writer's block and about of something else, which is causing him to have long conversations with a foul-mouthed, hallucinated goldfish. Cameron's buddy, Dogwater Hunt, has his own issues. Dogwater is an avowed conspiracy theorist and a multiple alien abductee. He is convinced that aliens are going to visit Earth once again on Christmas Eve, and he is intent on catching one. These three men are thrown together during the holiday season, and because it's a Christmas story, of course they have to save Christmas as we know it. But of course they learn a little bit about themselves and about friendship along the way. Now, this is a book in which Santa Claus appears, but it is not a Santa story for kids. This one is aimed squarely at adults, mostly because I looked around and thought, huh, nobody has really written a novel with a real-life Santa for adults. So I thought I would change that. In the Saint Nick of Time is my attempt to give adults the Santa that they didn't know they were missing. Go check it out. You can get the book wherever you order your books. All I ask is that you please leave a review at that place so that other people can see what you thought and so that they can find the book a little bit easier, not to mention the fact that it makes me feel better about myself. All right, well, happy holidays. So here's the thing about 3D Tic-Tac-Toe. Like I said, there's something about this game that is both boring and compelling. We know we shouldn't be able to win this, and yet we do, and it feels really good to win a stupid game of tic-tac-toe. And it's frustrating to lose, because, you know, flip of the coin, you know you shouldn't lose a game of tic-tac-toe. And sometimes I do lose games of tic-tac-toe with my kids, and it's really frustrating. Uh, So I want to play again. Um, You know, that's just how it is. That's just how humans are wired, I guess. And speaking of wanting to win and being wired that way, that brings us to this week's story. This week's story is titled, Tic Tac and the Pinky Toe. With one last skillful swipe of her surgical blade, Dr. Constance Tack removed the last of the latest corn on Euphigenia Blutler's right big toe. Mrs. Bluter, or Blutler, screamed with relief and a huge rush of endorphins her husband couldn't have engendered in her in the last 20 years. 
That's it, Euphigenia, Dr. Tax said. Kelsey here will bandage you up. No square dancing for a couple days, all right? The doctor bolted from the surgery room, shoving her specs into her lab coat pocket and rushing down the hall to the reception area. She'd done 11 torn removals so far. Today, would it be enough? Dr. Tack emerged from the exam area and stood behind the reception desk. Mark, career receptionist and aspiring actor, his only credits to date were in ads for Dr. Tack's office and doing the voice of a limp penis in an erectile dysfunction commercial, hunched over the clipboard. That was number 11, Mark, Dr. Tack said. Where's he at? Mark scratched at his no-shave November beard as he adjusted the dials on the receiver for the listening device in the adjoining podiatry office. Mark listened through the headphones for a minute, then... He just did number 15, Mark said. Damn, Dr. Tack said. Next door, in the offices of Dr. Wendell Tick, the good doctor was jumping into today's, today's schedule feet first. He was all set to launch his hot air balloon around the world. But then, his second calling, podiatry, called. Doctor, Dr. Tick's assistant said as she cranked the handle on the wireless listening device, I hear activity next door. Dr. Tick removed a cloth from within his the hat band of his top hat, and vigorously wiped a streak from his pince nez before placing the spectacles on his nose. Miss Tuscany, please report. Miss Tuscany listened through the headphones intently before reporting. Sir, you are still ahead in torn removal. She listened a bit more. But Dr. Tack just took another patient back for a bunionectomy. That puts her one up on you, sir. Damn, Dr. Tick said. This rivalry is exhausting. I do one procedure, she does two. I scrape two feet, she scrapes three. When will it stop? He knew the answer. Never. Podiatrists are an intense lot, and there is no rivalry more intense than that of Tick and Tack. I think, Miss Tuscany, it's time we call Mrs. Terwilliker back in. Miss Tuscany gasped. You're not serious! Dr. Tick nodded gravely. Back at Dr. Tack's office... Having a bit of downtime, she put the finishing touches on her four-masted schooner in a bottle. Ships in a bottle are relaxing, way better than shoving screeching denizens of the underworld into a bottle. It was tricky getting the mass folded just correctly, but the challenge was worth it. What shall we do, doctor? Mark asked. Before she could answer, Dr. Tack saw Mrs. Terwilliker come in. She had asked both Dr. Tick and Dr. Tack to remove her pinky toe so that the narrow shoes would fit better. While the pinky toe serves no real function in terms of balance, and the procedure is simple, both doctors had refused. It's audacious, arguably borderline medicine. Still, it's not good to squish that little nubbin, is it? Better to put it out of its misery, probably. Dr. Tack, in particular, had a special affinity for the darling little pinky toe, though. Back over at his office, Dr. Tick straightened his bow tie and dug deep into his plaid sole. It was time to be decisive, to match Dr. Tack's audacity with his own newfound boldness. Miss Tuscany, Dr. Tick said, I think... Too late, Miss Tuscany said. She just walked into Dr. Tack's office. Blast, Dr. Tick said. Back next door, Mark's eyes widened, and he pointed to the front door of the office. Dr. Tack followed his finger and said, Good afternoon, Mrs. Terwilliker. Mrs. Terwilliker set her designer handbag on the counter with a decisive thud. What was in there? I think you know why I'm here, doctor, she said evenly. Certainly, Dr. Tack said. Miss Tuscany slammed her fist in frustration. Now, now, Dr. Tick said. She doesn't have us boxed in yet. The ultimate winning move is to say no to a medically unnecessary procedure. Miss Tuscany listened to the audio from Dr. Tack's office. They're headed somewhere else. 
Uh, one center square. Dr. Tick frowned. Must be your new surgical center. We must intercept Mrs. Tewilker. Come, to the dirigible, Mrs. Tewilker sighed. You know, I have a car. Several hours later, Dr. Tick's dirigible landed on the lawn of one center square. Dr. Tick secured the dirigible. He'd learned that lesson when he'd had to walk home after a flight to Boston. He picked up his scalpel and charged toward the center square, literally a building that was square, and said, center on it, the British R-E spelling, no less. Come, Tuscany, he called behind him. The foot game is afoot. Just then, the front door of one center square banged open. Mrs. Terwilliker did a little jig out the door. No groggy, anesthetized face. No limp. No bandages. In fact, she was wearing an elegant pair of narrow pumps, with no signs of distress at all. Madam, Dr. Tack said, I see you didn't go through with the procedure. Perhaps Miss Tuscany could make you an appointment with me. It's okay, Mrs. Terwilliker said. I'm done. What? Dr. Tack stepped outside, grinning. No toe removal needed, but the patient is still satisfied. Are you ready to give in, Dr. Tick? You must be joking, Dr. Tick said. Let's show her, Dr. Tack said. Mrs. Tewilliker slipped off her pumps. The toes looked perfectly normal. Wait, no they didn't. The pinky toe was folded neatly over the others. It was attached to a series of strings and hinges which Mrs. Tewilliker used to move it back to, into place next to the others. All five digits accounted for. Great Scott, Dr. Tick said. Mrs. Tewilliker beamed. I'm going to tell all my friends. You'll have your own daytime morning show in no time, Dr. Tack. What the devil, Dr. Tick said. What have you done, Dr. Tack? Dr. Tack shrugged. Simple, really. I applied the same principle used to lower the mass on ships and then slide them into bottles, then raise them again. This way, the crisscross design lets you move the pinky toe for narrow pumps and put it back again for flats. My patient is happy and no unnecessarily invasive procedures. In that moment... Dr. Tick's dirigible deflated. And that's the story of tic-tac and X-shaped toe hinges in one center square. Oh, can you believe it. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Thanks to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes theme. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And occasionally you can find me doing weird things on Instagram as well. Listen to Atari Bytes wherever fine podcasts are sold, distributed, or foisted upon you like so many flyers from politicians in an election year. Seriously, I'm exhausted. When's the next election? Oh, next week? That's awesome. Um, at least it feels that way. But remember, O, to leave an X in the center square of an Apple Podcast review of this show. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page, Atari Bytes, B-Y-T-E-S. Thank you in advance for doing that. And if you have time, do check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month and are chock full of all things Chuck Brown and Snoopy, and Peppermint Patty. Seriously, the comic strips, the TV specials, the movies, the merchandise, the mind of Charles Schultz himself, if it has anything to do with Peanuts, we'll probably talk about it on that show. So, if you love Snoopy, and admit it, you do, or if you know someone who does, and I assure you, you do, check out or tell them to check out this show. Thanks. 
next time on Atari Bytes. Venture, probably not related to the chain of stores. Seriously, there's a chain of stores called Venture, isn't there? I think there is. I will ask the internet. Apparently there was. Venture Stores Incorporated was a chain of retail stores aimed at the discount department store market. They expanded across various areas of the United States over a period of 30 years, became the largest discount chain in Chicago. But in January 98, Venture Stores entered a Chapter 11 bankruptcy and closed within four months. Let's hope the game Venture goes a little bit better. But you'll have to turn in next week to find out. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.